Welcome to Gladiatrix. I am woman and hear me roar. I'm your host, Malini Sarma. Every week, I will be speaking with women from all over the world who will be sharing their journeys, their stories about overcoming their fears and achieving great things that they thought they never could. So if you don't want to miss a story, make sure you subscribe. Before we talk about today's show, I would like to say thank you to all my guests who have been featured on the Gladiatrix podcast to date. I have a dream. There are 193 countries in the United Nations, and I have a dream that I can host at least one woman from every country in the world on this podcast. That is 193 countries, 193 stories, on 193 shows. So if you know of somebody who should be featured on the show, please drop me a note. I would really appreciate it. In today's episode, we're speaking with Sana Sayed. Sana is a PhD student at the University of Notre Dame studying primatology. Her dissertation is looking at the relationship between humans and monkeys in India. Today, she will talk about how her dissertation will help expand how we see our relationships with nature based on Indian knowledge and how our current theories are really limiting because of how racist and colonial science is. This is her story. Hi, Sana. Thank you so much for joining the show. I'm really, really looking forward to talking to you today. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to it as well. Awesome. So let's jump right into it. Your parents came to the U.S. from India. Yes. And uh, you uh, you pretty much grow born brought up here. So mm-hmm. what was it like um, growing up? You know, what did you based on how your parents, you know, as immigrant parents, uh, um, and I know how that is, um, what was their influence on what you wanted to eat to grow when you grew up? Um, yeah, so both of my parents um, were born and raised in India and Gujarat. And they came in the late 70s and, and early 80s. And so I'm the youngest of four. I have three older sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that also influenced my, my growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so my parents were like very typical immigrant Indian parents. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't really allow us to do much of anything. I mean, Mm -hmm. like if it was school related, like anything Mm -hmm. went right. I was Mm -hmm. like very actively involved um, in different like clubs, organizations and and that kind of thing throughout school, just because it was kind of the only thing that we were allowed to do. Uh Um, But because I had my older sisters, we, you know, hung out a lot together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I guess I like, I never necessarily felt like, lonely which was really nice given Mm. how strict my parents were right um like I feel like when I do talk to my American friends or or you know I don't know uh people who didn't have as strict of parents a lot of what like shaped their upbringing were like their different experiences kind of like out and about Mm -hmm. um whereas like I I didn't really have that um Mm. I hung out with my family 
all the time, mm-hmm. um, which is just like expected for Indian Indian kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially Indian girls, right? Right. Um, and so we weren't really allowed to do much of anything. But one thing that my parents really kind of um, drilled into me and all of my sisters was not just the pursuit of knowledge, but kind of like pursuing your dreams, whatever they may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so none of my sisters, like none of us have really followed the the more typical um, like doctor engineer path just because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so my mom, she really wanted to be a doctor to grow up and be a doctor, but like that was never in the cards for her just because she was a, a woman and mm-hmm. was expected to just get married and, and have kids and that be her life. Um, and so she really kind of was like, no, like I want you all to pursue what you want to pursue, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's why your dad and I are here. And so we were all kind of encouraged to, to do that. And so we all spent a lot of time like reading and really figuring out what our interests were when we were younger. Um, but a lot of the reason, so I, I am a primatologist and, and I study ecology and a lot of the reason that I'm really into like animal behavior and ecosystems and all of that is because growing up, since we weren't allowed to do anything, I spent a lot of time outside and just mm-hmm. like hanging out and playing in the woods in my backyard. And that really shaped a lot of like what interested me because um, it's like kind of <laughs> the only thing I was allowed to do mm-hmm. when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and Growing up in a place like rural Kentucky, you get exposed to a lot of different types of animals and plants, and you get to see a lot of things that, um, you know, if you grow up in a, in a city or right. maybe in the suburbs, you don't get to see as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was always really fascinated by the different animals that would be in my backyard. We'd get deer and we'd get turtles and like bunnies and just a, a bunch of different types of animals that we're like pretty close to us. And so we'd like run around catching different animals when we were younger. And um, I really loved that. And I think that that is probably like the most influential thing that I would do when I was a kid. And I just Mm -hmm. like loved it so much. And so that is kind of why I decided what I wanted to do. So, I mean, Um, was that something, um, because being a primatologist, it's not... Um, you know, um, we, we've seen like Jane Goodall and we've seen, um, you know, on mm-hmm. National Geographic. And so yeah. a lot of us get influenced by watching all these movies and, you know, mm-hmm. exciting, adventurous stuff. And so is that how you decided that that's what you were going to do, you know, or was it something that just kind of morphed as you started, you know, as you grew up and started learning more about science? and um, um. Yeah, I think so. So specifically with primatology, I think actually came about because of the stories my parents would tell. Um, Because obviously, like, I didn't see monkeys when Mm -hmm. I was growing up, right? Right. Like, that's not an animal you see in Kentucky. Um, But my parents would just tell us like such fascinating stories when we were younger about Mm -hmm. like their experiences with monkeys. um, But also like, a lot of the like Gujarati folk tales and um, you know like nursery stories and stuff mm-hmm. that they would tell us when we were younger featured monkeys and so I was always really into them and I, I, I like was really fascinated about the different like 
interactions that that they personally would have with monkeys when they were growing up or just the different stories that they would tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that was definitely reinforced then by like what I would watch on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched a bunch of different na- nature documentaries when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved learning about like the different female primatologists for sure. And so I think like it was kind of a combination of a lot of things, mm-hmm. um, like what I would see on TV, but then also um, just like growing up with really awesome, fascinating tales of of like monkeys from, I mean, because they're pretty important in Indian culture more broadly right. as well, right? right? And so right, right, right. they're incorporated in all of these really cool stories. And, mm-hmm. you know, my parents had awesome stories about monkeys. And then when I finally like went to India because we didn't go that often when I was um, younger Mm -hmm. I went once when I was like four and then again when I was 12 so I don't remember anything when I was four I was just I was too young to really remember anything Mm -hmm. but um I remember going when I was 12 and just like I some of the most vivid memories I have of that trip were just like waking up to the sounds of like monkeys jumping on the roof and like all of the the stories that um, like family members and, and everyone around the house would tell us about like, oh, you can't, can't go outside at these times because then like the monkeys will attack you or, mm-hmm. you know, I would hear that they like didn't respect women and all of that. So all of these things like really fascinated me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that I knew I wanted to be a primatologist until I like finally started working with primates. Okay. Um, at the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago, which wasn't until I was like 25 or 26. So Um, how did you, how did you, um, so from, you know, when you were 12, you went to India, you got to see monkeys, but then you mm -hmm. you were in high school. And then when you decided to go to college, what were you studying? You weren't studying, were were you studying science or were you in education? How did that journey from, you know, from the 12 years old and seeing monkeys to the Lincoln Park Zoo and actually working with primates, what happened from during that time? Yeah. So I, so when I was younger, I like, I knew that I wanted to study animals. Like that was always um, like very obvious to Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and I learned about, so I actually majored in anthropology. I'm a PhD student in anthropology now. I majored in anthropology in college. Um, Yeah. And so, and the reason that that was is because I I took biology courses, like um, ecology courses in college as well. Um, but I didn't really feel connected to the way that, um, like the hard sciences mm-hmm. talked about the environment or studied right. the environment mm-hmm. or like animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I took an anthropology course and there was, uh, there was actually a, a primatology section, um, mm-hmm. in my intro to anthro class mm-hmm. and, I think that's when I really realized like, okay, this is the field that seems to be describing animals in the way that I understand them. Um, Because not that it was necessarily human focused, Mm -hmm. but, but um, just the way that they described the the interactions that we would have with different animals and um, kind of the the importance that animals have beyond just like what 
I don't know what role they may play in their specific ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, that really fascinated me. And so that's what got me interested in anthropology. Gotcha. Um, but I, for some reason, I, I don't know why, like I, I actually like look back on this a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I still wasn't sold on, on primatology at that point. Okay. Um, because I took a whole bunch of different anthropology courses while I was at Wellesley mm-hmm. and just like loved them all and was just so interested in, in everything. And then I also majored in history and I loved mm-hmm. um, all of all of that. And um, I think I I had the, the problem that a lot of people talk about, about like having a lack of focus. Everything for your college right? student. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, everything was super interesting and I loved it. And, and I still wasn't like, okay, animal behavior is something that I like can do as a, as a job. Right. That I wasn't mm-hmm. sold on that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of that, since I didn't know what I wanted to do, um, I decided to teach after college. So I did teach for America for mm-hmm. three years after I graduated. Um, okay. And two of my older sisters had also done teach for America, which is how I knew about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I had taken several science courses throughout college, I was placed as a high school science teacher. Okay. Um, and during my second year, I taught biology, mm-hmm. uh, ninth grade biology. Okay. And I loved it. Like I loved teaching. It was so much fun. I had a, a phenomenal experience with that. But um, when I got to the ecology unit, when I was teaching my students about ecology, I remembered how much I loved it. Mm-hmm. And so it was so much fun for me to teach ecology. Like it was also my students' favorite unit because they could see how passionate I was about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had, I mean, I, I, I feel like I extended that unit far beyond what, what they needed to know. Okay. Um, just because it was, it was so much fun. Um, and that's kind of, that's what made me realize that I wasn't done with school yet because Mm -hmm. I was just so fascinated by the things that I was learning and by the things that I was teaching and by the things that you know, my, the questions that my students would have about different, like, ecological relationships, um, and the stories that they would bring in and, and tell in class and stuff. And so mm-hmm. that's what really got me reinterested in, like, what I loved when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finally, like, I decided that was when I decided, all right, I'm going to go back to school, and I'm going to, I'm going to actually pursue ecology and and animal behavior um and so then I applied for master's programs and um I did a a master's at University of Chicago Mm -hmm. and studied squirrels so I was uh looking at how essentially how climate change was impacting um demographics and a squirrel population Mm -hmm. in California Mm -hmm. Um, and then from there went to the Lincoln Park Zoo Mm. where, um, I started working with the Japanese macaques at the zoo and just doing behavioral observations, collecting data, um, looking at different things there, but realized how like fascinated I was with how those monkeys interacted with zoo guests Mm -hmm. 
um, because you could kind of see how their interactions with the guests then kind of like bled into their interactions with each other. And I found that really cool. Um, That's that's, that's actually quite fascinating. So depending on which environment you're in, or, you know, when you when you say, um, because you're working at the Lincoln Park Zoo, that means they are Mm -hmm. very controlled, right? So it's not like Mm -hmm. you have monkeys roaming around outside, unlike Mm -hmm. India, where you find them on the roads and, you know, um, Mm -hmm. so their interactions must be very different from, Mm -hmm. you know, the ones that you find in India are probably very different from the ones that you find in the zoo. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's definitely the case. Um, And I mean, monkeys are all non-human primates or primates in general, including humans are really good at adapting to, Mm -hmm. to their environment. Um, And absolutely you see, you see behavioral differences like depending on the environment that they're in. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Lincoln Park Zoo does a really good job of, not being too, um, I don't know how to say this, too obtrusive, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the end of the day, like, they are captive animals, right? Mm -hmm. There are, there's only a specific area they can go. There are only specific, um, you know, individuals that they can interact with, right? Like one group of monkeys is never going to come across another group of monkeys, you know, Mm -hmm. which is something that happens in the wild all the time. and the ways that they're interacting with people is completely different than how they do in India, mm-hmm. um, right? There's a, there is glass between them and the people. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't like steal food from people like they right, do in right. India or, or any, anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, yeah, there's definitely like a difference. Is, there's a difference in behavior um, and there's so much there's, there's less outside, mm-hmm. um, for them to get influenced by, mm-hmm. right? And in, in India, their, their behaviors mm-hmm. are absolutely influenced by the people that, that they interact with constantly, or the, you know, the human modified environments that they're, right. um, that they're living in and exposed to and, and everything. And so, um, that's why actually, because when I would see them interact with people, mm-hmm. I was reminded of, like the stories that my parents would tell when I was younger and just mm-hmm. like the, the um, what I observed when I was in India when I was 12. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I hadn't been back since then. Right. And, mm-hmm. and then, so that's kind of where, where I realized like that is what I want to study. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like having all of these stories in the back of my mind and thinking like, this is such an interesting area of research and it's something that I'm really interested in myself Mm -hmm. um and at that point right I was 25 or 26 and I realized you know there's a reason my first year in college I was like called to anthropology and it was because of the way that you know um animals were studied within that field and at that point I had been in the biology ecology realm for enough time that it didn't study mm-hmm. animals and the world as I thought, thought made it would sense. Right, right. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of what led me to being like, all right, I'm going to apply to PhD programs in anthropology. Because um, mm. that's like the, the theoretical way that I want to approach um, animal behavior. So have you, have you seen 
Um, now, anthropology is, you know, basically a study of cultures, but it could be in, mm-hmm. in, in, in any in any environment, it could be linguistic or, you know, like archaeology or like primatology or biological anthropology. I mean, there's so many different branches, right? So mm-hmm. um, in your experience, you know, being a, you're currently a PhD student that is getting ready to write her dissertation or in the process of writing dissertation, have you have you um, seen that there is a disconnect, you know, between uh, what is currently around you and how they are teaching it. Maybe it's because it's, you know, it's probably started by, you know, it was it, it's a very, um, what do you call like the institutionalized way of learning, right? Because it's 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 not it's not exactly reality, but you know, they're they're pushing these ideas and they haven't updated the books kind of thing. Have have you noticed that? Yeah, I mean, I think that, well, I think I noticed that more within um, the fields of like evolutionary ecology and biology, Mm -hmm. um, where everything just seemed, seemed very Western. Uh, um, Okay. And it, yeah, I mean, those fields like absolutely are informed by like, Western notions of what what science should be, what like knowledge production within science should be, and just like mm-hmm. the way that the way that you relate to the world. So um, you, you give me an example. Yeah. So so in the Western mindset, there's a def- a divide between nature and culture, right? Humans and non-humans. They're they're separated. Um, they are within their own realms. Like yes, they interact, but not in the ways that I felt um, made sense for like, for example, like being an Indian person, right? So if mm-hmm. you think about, if you think about the way, if we're talking about monkeys specifically, if we're thinking about the ways that um, people interact with and understand and relate to non-human primates in India, mm-hmm. um, right? The, those relationships are informed by, centuries and centuries of Mm -hmm. like cohabitation right Mm -hmm. and um, centuries of significance religious significance where you know monkeys are associated with worshiping um the god hanuman right Mm -hmm. and and so all of these these factors play into a relationship that is not defined by a separation right like if, if interacting with a monkey for example is part of the way that you worship a god right Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm, that's that's mm -hmm. not a separation that is directly related to your own like well-being your own salvation your you know your your own religiosity Mm -hmm. um and so that can't ever be defined by a divide between nature and culture right like you cannot understand um anything about monkeys or anything about people or anything about the relationships between monkeys and people if you're just if if you consider them necessarily divided right Mm -hmm. um and so you have to go beyond that and recognize that that's not how everyone sees the world right like if you talk to people in Mm -hmm. india about Mm -hmm. their relationships with monkeys or with nature Mm -hmm. um it's very easy to to see that people there don't see it that way. They don't think that they're divided necessarily from 
They just、uh, learn to live with it. I think I don't know if it's more of a culture thing, you know, because、mm-hmm. they they're not about you know building walls and you know、mm-hmm. enclosures and you know dart guns or whatever to keep them away. You just kind of kind of everybody just kind of lives with it, right? And they just figure it out, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of、um, you know calling animal control because then they would never have <laughs> time for anything else.、Uh, yeah. No. Exactly. Like you, it at some point the. The animals become part of your society, right? Mm-hmm, your mm-hmm. your social world,、right. um, your religious world, your political world, you know, whatever it may be.、Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is like overwhelmingly the case in in a place like India, and not just India, right? This is、um, in a lot of the non-Western world, right? And、um, and that's kind of so my my research project kind of.、Um, You know, explores that aspect of the the relationships between monkeys and and humans in India, where there's this there should be this recognition that you know monkeys are part of the social world in India. They're part of the political world, religious world, etc. But that people are also part of the social world of monkeys, right?、Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's not just one way. It's not just right, right. Us that sees the monkeys in a particular way, but they also. See us in a certain way as well, right? Because we're、mm-hmm. cohabitating. It's not just that, you、right. know, people are adjusting by maybe incorporating them into like folklore or religion or whatever, whatever else. But、mm-hmm. you know, the monkeys are also used to having us around, and they're used to us feeding them and、mm-hmm. you know protecting them and and being there for them and you know whatever else.、Mm-hmm. And so,、um, yeah, and so that so one of the reasons that I. Love anthropology as much as I do is because it it allows me to do my research in a way that is more true to the Indian experience、okay. and the the in the Indian like understanding of the world.、Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's really great, but that doesn't mean that I haven't <laughs> come into obstacles within anthropology. I think that、um, my department is really great at. At Notre Dame, and、mm-hmm. I have wonderful advisors that、um, are like well aware of the situation. But across the board in anthropology, I definitely、um, have received like pushback from white anthropologists、um, because and- it doesn't meet their,、um, you know, what you're saying,、yep. their world of how the, you know、um, humans、yeah. versus non-humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely that aspect where、um, they they may not agree that that the relationships are the way that I'm describing them to be,、okay. um, or you know, they they kind of see it more as like, a, okay, so you're describing a relationship, but that doesn't mean that it's like the way that it should be. Mm, okay. If that makes sense, right? So it's it's like、mm-hmm. very otherizing in the sense that like okay, yeah, like you can use these theoretical frameworks or you can you know use whatever to describe the relationship that you're seeing、mm-hmm. because that's how, sure like how the people are seeing it, but that's that, right? It's not it's not real or maybe it's not as it should be.、Mm. Um, where The situation is just kind of like meant to be observed and described, and that's it, right?、Oh. It doesn't have any like maybe deeper meaning, or you know, there may not be an understanding of like, hey, maybe that's 
how things should be. Maybe, Maybe that's how things are here too. And you're just like not acknowledging it. Right. You know? Yeah. So um, let me, let, so let me ask you a question. And, um, yeah. uh, you know, when you're talking about um, monkeys and people, if you had to, if you had to compare um, bears, you know, like in the in the U.S., especially when they're talking about in the mountains, in the mountain regions where there are bears, and how they're like, oh, don't feed the bears. Uh-huh. Um, would you would you say that uh, that that relationship, you know, with how bears are, with especially in places where there are numerous bears, and you know, like the Smokies and whatever, mm-hmm. is that similar to how it be how it would be, um, and and to, to the monkeys in India. Of course, the numbers um, are much yeah. different, you <laughs> yeah. know, but yeah. um, would you consider that similar um, in a similar kind of an aspect? Because they're also like free roaming. It's not like, mm-hmm. you know, they're caged or anything. They're wild out there in the wild. Mm-hmm. Or, or would you consider it, it more controlled here because of the numbers and because the number of people are less and it's easier yeah. to do that? What, what are your um, thoughts on that? I think that the situation here is is drastically more controlled. Okay. Um, and I mean, it's a result of the Western like dualism that I was talking about, about dividing nature mm-hmm. and culture, right? It's a result of, of hundreds of years of that being the case, um, you know, since, since America was colonized, mm-hmm. um, that that framework of understanding that people and nature are separate entities has, has led to this like more controlled situation where, you know, nature and that, that includes animals that are, that are living within nature are meant to be controlled by Mm. us. Um, And I mean, it's interesting because if you're considering it from, the bear's perspective right, right. they're mm-hmm. they're not interested in adhering to whatever right uh control that you know mm-hmm. we're we're placing on them but i mean in a lot of ways they they're still um confined to it mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah i think that that the u.s is, is certainly an interesting place because um there are really interesting ways that we do relate to animals in different ways. I mean, when mm-hmm. you think about like pets, for example, or mm-hmm. horses or, you know, domesticated animals, there are these like very strong kin relationships that we have with right. Right. our pets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they that like completely like blurs the line that, that nature culture divide, mm-hmm. um, you know? And so you certainly have examples of that here um but then you have the difference is, is that like you're bringing those animals into your home right gotcha um, right whereas you are controlling the environment mm-hmm. gotcha. yeah and and there are definitely like you know groups in the in the u.s where um where the cases are different for sure mm-hmm. um but like if, if we're talking about the U.S. at large and like places like the national parks where everything is like very controlled and, you know, if you're talking about the Smokies where everything is managed mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Or, or attempted to be managed, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's certainly a different situation. Um, and I do, I think a lot of it is is really just that people 
want to separate themselves from nature. And I am not saying it's like a conscious decision. I think it's just a survival, right? And it's like, but then it's, you know, but that's just not how it works, right? Because that's, you know, being a person, being people, being humans, like our relationships with the natural world are like so important for who we are Mm -hmm. um that's why you know we have there are american like folklore and and Mm -hmm. all of that that incorporate um different animals and we put all of our different beliefs on animals it dictates like how we relate to some you know you know you have like cultural perceptions of some animals as being like dirty or bad or Mm -hmm. you know whatever it may be and it it impacts how you treat that animal if you ever see it right right Um, and then that goes the other way too, where you can have some positive perceptions that impact the way that we treat them too. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, I mean, that's just part of being human. Um, but I think that in, you know, in India, I I think we're a lot more aware of it, like Mm -hmm. within Mm -hmm. Indian culture that like, yeah, these animals do shape our understandings of the world and they're part of our, our lives in very important ways that, Mm -hmm. Um, I think people here don't recognize as much. True, true. No, and I totally, I totally get that. So, in your, um, so you were talking about, you know, in anthropology that you get a lot of pushback uh, from a lot of, uh, especially in your field. Have, have you, have you? It, did that come as a surprise, or was there anything else that you that that kind of took you by surprise because you didn't expect? you know, as you study in the field of anthropology, was there any stumbling blocks that kind of like, wow, I didn't think that would happen? Yeah, I, I don't know about, I don't know if they were necessarily surprising to me. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, one thing within like the field of primatology that I encounter a lot is people that really ignore humans Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not even just in like, okay, we're going to study this, this, you know, primate population and ignore the impacts of people. But I mean, like, they'll, they'll form these like really intense conservation management strategies and just like completely ignore the human element mm-hmm. um, in, in such a way that it's clear that they prioritize the lives of the primates more Mm -hmm. than the lives of like local communities. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it certainly doesn't surprise me, but it's very frustrating. Mm -hmm. um, Right. Where, you know, they try so hard to get these like conservation strategies implemented, but then like, you know, completely ignore what, what, impacts that may have on the local communities and a lot of that is because there's that you know lack of understanding of like how local communities may be relating to the the non-human primate populations that are around Mm -hmm. um you know why why might the people be interacting with monkeys in this way or you know those deeper questions aren't as um as addressed i think okay that's that's definitely frustrating Mm. to me okay um, but, but they ignore the human element and they only focus on one thing mm-hmm. mm. yeah yeah definitely um and I think uh, something else that 
I guess this was this was definitely a bit surprising to me is um, the idea that like because I am Indian, I can't like I can't study India in the way that they feel that one should be able to study India Does it because think I'm not be biased. Yeah, because I'm not far removed enough, uh, right? Like okay. because I can't I can't otherize mm. um, if I'm part of. Okay, and so. Yes, I've definitely uh, experienced some of that uh, within the field where, you know, people are like, oh, like, do you really think that you can be objective enough to uh, gotcha. you know, like, research this or, you know, whatever else, which, of course, is is a ridiculous notion because there is no objectivity in science anyway, right? right. Like, they're bringing in their own biases if they're trying to study um, right. Indians, right? And, and, and in such a way that's harmful. Right. Um, in your right, case, like you're I, actually you're actually beneficial. It's benefit for you because you can actually you are, you would understand it better because yep. you you know the culture. So mm-hmm. instead of coming in with a bias for somebody who's not from there, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's certainly frustrating. And I think the first um, couple of years of my program, I think when I would like go to conferences and kind of talk to people about it, I, that would that would really frustrate me. Um, and kind of like, I would, I was definitely taken aback, but it made me realize how important it was for me to be doing this work as well. Mm -hmm. Um, because it is our story to tell, right? Like, um, and, and I think that the, the Indian government very recently also has kind of like, um, tried to, restrict who does research within Mm. the country Mm -hmm. um but I found this in India as well is that a lot of the the science that happens in the country is informed by western science right um which is certainly disappointing but um you would think in in, in all these years of independence they would have figured it out but I guess that's that's a generation (laughs) that's still growing so yeah, definitely. Um, and the the environmental movement there, like the the national environmental movement there, is definitely informed by like mm-hmm. pretty classist Western mm-hmm. ideas of what you know science should be, and kind of like you know the the displacement of of indigenous populations mm-hmm. um, to create like nature preserves and natural right. parks, which is what happened here is right. and it's continuing to happen here is also happening in India. Right. And um and so you definitely see the parallels there, mm-hmm. uh, which is certainly a shame. But I think that, you know, being somebody who is Indian and, you know, grew up with certain ideas about nature that perhaps are more in line with, you know, mm-hmm. with what they believe in India, right? Mm-hmm. Um, from my parents has definitely informed my right. studies um, mm-hmm. in ways that I think that is really beneficial, mm-hmm. um, you know, regardless of of what other anthropologists might so, think. But, right, right. Yeah. So you, um, you're surrounded by very strong women, your mother, your sisters. You went to Ellerslie, which is, um, you know, girls only college autism, um, very uh, prominent alumni, um, and you're a feminist, and yet you are in a university that 
doesn't encourage or from at least from what I know, you know, um, diversity and inclusion are it's kind of old fashioned. Let's put it that way. So, <laughs> so how do you you as a young minority woman of color studying primatology, how do you get your point across so they, they will listen to you? I think that one thing that I really learned from my mom, my dad, as well as my older sisters is kind of a, a, a sense of like, like I'm not here for white people or for men to listen to me. Right. right? I, I am going to do what I need to and what I want to. And if they have a problem with it, that's on them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's a very useful way to navigate the world. Right. Um, I agree. Yeah. Because I, I feel like I don't regularly get bogged down by, um, by just like the, the sense of needing to be heard, I guess. Okay. Um, so when and, you do something, when you have to get something done, mm -hmm. you just get it done. So when you get pushback, <laughs> how do you deal with that? Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's definitely one thing that um, I just, I, I do. And then I might get the pushback, but then I'll do it anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so I very, I'm like very firm in, pretty much all of my like you know if I'm trying to I don't know talk to mm -hmm. I don't know but I feel like my my advisors are, are a different situation because they're you know I don't really get pushback from them very often um, I think or, or they have learned <laughs> I would put it that way I think I think it's a question of teaching them how to how to <laughs> Uh, react right I mean because yes, I think it's human nature point. if you allow them to think that yes. they are in control then they will take control but when you say no this is how it's going to get done yeah they will learn it's it once again it's a, mm -hmm. a relationship that you have to you have to you know create and nurture and you have to come to an understanding there are certain yeah. things that you will not do and then there are certain things that maybe you will do yeah. <laughs> so and I, I think that that's exactly what it is and I think that and this is true for, for women across the board. I feel like uh, so many of us have a problem with saying no. Yes. Um, and Agreed. that, and I do not have that problem. Um, I think that's a great problem not to have. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> exactly. And, and it's definitely like my parents like absolutely taught us that when we were growing up, like say no, mm. um, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. You don't have to apologize do you, right. you don't have to apologize you don't have to do something just because it's expected of you or you know whatever whatever else reason mm -hmm. um and I think you're right like people have learned that about me like if I don't if if I don't want to do something I'm not going to and also if I want to do something I will do it without asking permission and I think um, that is key I think that yeah. is key you, you don't have to ask is. for there's a difference between telling somebody mm -hmm. and asking somebody it was like, exactly. You know, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and especially like at this point in my life, like I am 30, like, yes, I am a student. Right. But like, I'm an adult who can make decisions for myself mm -hmm. and, you know, nobody is going to know better than me mm -hmm. what I need to do to get to where I want to 
be, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I think something is worthwhile, like I will absolutely ask for advice if I'm unsure if it's something that I should do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like that's, I, you know, my mentors and my friends and my family are all there to guide me when I'm, when I want it and when I need it. Mm-hmm. But like, if it's something that I recognize I need to do, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm not interested in your reasons why I shouldn't if I've already made up my mind, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and if and if it doesn't work, well, then you figure out another way, or maybe yeah. you find something else. Whatever it yeah. needs to be done. Now, I think that's great, and I think a lot of I think a lot of us women, um, I think a lot of women in the you know older women, and I, I would say that is in, in my age group, meaning like you know fifties and whatever, are, are brought up in a different way where asking permission was kind of like you know the norm mm-hmm. unlike the millennial and you know the younger generation right now is like i don't need to ask anybody's permission and making mistakes is uh is acceptable versus trying to be perfect so yeah. there's definitely a mindset and a you know a, an upbringing environmental kind of uh that, that, that definitely makes a difference yeah um, I, I think so and i think that a lot of it is is i mean i said that my parents kind of raised it that way and that's it is a product of Indian culture in that like my at raising four daughters mm-hmm. right and especially within a culture Indian culture is is very very patriarchal oh, um for sure. and so my parents were like absolutely like you say no when you want to say no you do what you want mm-hmm. it's fine mm-hmm. um at least within the the realms of like education and career, they might not agree when it comes to like other things, <laughs> them telling us what to do. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, I think that um, my dad was probably like one of the the stronger feminist characters actually that I that I knew growing up. Um, that's awesome. That's that's really cool. Yeah, I have yeah. to give kudos to your parents, you know, bringing up like four very strong daughters who have no qualms about telling people uh, what they need to hear. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I'm like, I'm very fortunate also, like being the youngest of four, I like got to see my older sisters, mm-hmm. um, you know, progress throughout their careers and their educations and their lives as, mm-hmm. as very like strong people. And mm-hmm. Um, that has like definitely shaped who I am. I mean, my oldest sister is nine years older than me. So I like was very young when she was going through a lot of um, Mm -hmm. like career movements and education movements and everything. And I'm like very fortunate that I got to, got to experience that as a kid Mm -hmm. Um, because yeah, I like never, I don't know. I never really felt like I needed to like, come into being a strong woman or like come into being a certain type of person I feel like I just always had that yeah right um mm-hmm. if you so, if you if it was anything else it would have been kind of surprised because like yeah. wait how could you be anything else so you're just surrounded by women who are like that so you should exactly. be that way too right exactly yeah that's yeah. awesome so, mm-hmm. so now well once you defend your PhD what are your plans what are you planning to do in the future um so I really love teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would love to like teach at a, at a smaller, like liberal arts school. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be, that'd be wonderful. I also am considering um, working for the national park service. 
Awesome. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I feel like nature uh, and we, nurture. Yes, we were. I mean, we were talking about the the whole management situation that mm-hmm. I feel like is is occurring in the parks, and I think that um, the park service now is doing better with like working with local communities about um, like managing wildlife, and mm-hmm. and I think that I can bring in an important perspective to that. That's um, awesome. That yeah, really cool. so so that would be great. But I I really love teaching, and I like can't wait to teach again in the future. And so I hope to definitely do that more. Awesome. So now you are a uh, primatologist. You're a minority. Mm-hmm. So as a woman minority primatologist, what would you want to tell other women of color who want to go into this field? What kind? What what advice would you give them? Yeah. Um. So. So primatology at large is a female-dominated field. Um, no kidding. I had no idea. But it's, idea. A, it's a white female-dominated ah, field. okay. Um, yeah. And so, so yeah, it like, definitely struggles with a lot of the same issues because of the, the, the dominant whiteness, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the, the thing that I would tell other women of color who are interested in pursuing primatology is to like trust your instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause this is something that I, I think that I would have pursued um, animal behavior and pursued ecology in college. If I had really recognized like, the, the way that I like, grew up to understand nature and relationships with nature are valid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were so at odds with this like Western idea of like how science is taught and how we relate to the world. Um, and so I always struggled with that when I was, you know, when I started getting higher up into the sciences and like took a few classes in college. Mm-hmm. And I think that a, a lot of us, would really benefit from the recognition that Western science is not <laughs> the only type of science that should be valued. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I, if I had known that when I was younger, I think that. Um, but how would you have known that if, I mean, you know, I mean, there's nobody else that's telling them that. I mean, say now somebody's listening to you, like, oh, okay, that's really cool. But if they <laughs> yeah. went into, if they went into a university and yeah. at the ask that question, everybody's like, what? What are you talking about? So how? Yeah, absolutely. No, right? Yeah, and that's why, like, I mean, having mentors that um, are also women of color is like so important for that reason, right? Because mm-hmm. um, you need someone to tell you, like, yes your instincts are valid the way that, you know, you understand the world is a valid viewpoint. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, this isn't the only way. And like, this is something that you should pursue if you're interested in pursuing it. Um, And it's, I mean, it's very important to have that type of mentorship. Um, And it's hard to get it, Mm -hmm. especially now, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that is definitely changing places are trying I'm not saying that they're necessarily doing it well mm-hmm. um, where universities are like trying to hire more people of color and maybe aren't doing the best at retaining them but um, I think that the internet is a great place mm-hmm. um, 
where you can kind of like delve into into these kinds of things but the mentorship yeah, is I mean, really really important for especially for women of color because you don't find others who look like you or yeah. you know have that same background or who could at least point you in the right direction right to say okay right. go talk to this person because we know that you know they're they'll guide you to on the right put you on the right path yeah yeah and so part of it is just like seeking that out right mm-hmm. like if you're at a university where that doesn't exist mm-hmm. um it's and it, and it like sucks that it's on it's on us to seek that out ourselves right because you know you're a college student you're still fit you're figuring out who you are right mm-hmm. and then on mm-hmm. top of that you have to like seek out mentors that are you know the, the type of people that you that you want to be connected with mm-hmm. um but it is it's so important to have that um in your life to to guide you because I mean so much of our educational system and call especially like academic institutions really just like try to squash any any like non-western ideology mm-hmm. um and I mean it's very it's it's an intentional thing for sure um but you know when you're 17 18 19 and in college you don't recognize that right like you right. might like I, I I felt it but I didn't recognize that that's what it was right yeah. like I knew that I didn't know I didn't know I if it was vibing yeah you didn't know if it was like oh okay but yeah you're right you, yeah. you you see it but you don't realize that you can you should be raising a stink about it because nobody exactly. else is saying anything about it yeah yeah and like now I'm like you know I'm 30 and I'm I'm learning so much more about my culture than I have before because I wasn't taught these ways of knowing mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. I was I was you know, given the, these like stories as I was growing up and, you know, my, my parents and I, they, my parents have always been very like open and honest about like pretty much everything. And so I, I certainly grew up with a specific understanding, but then at the same time, you know, I would go to school five days a week and mm-hmm. learn science, mm-hmm. a particular type of science. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, they're at odds with each other and, one ends up taking over when, you know, you're trying to make a career out of something, right? Like that's, right. that's what you're going to, um, you're going to place more value on what's going to get you ahead, right? you know, at the end of the day. Yep. Um, yep. Absolutely. And, and when we don't have like the institutions in place here that, um, that value, you know, our cultural, cultural upbringings and understandings, then what can you do? Right. Um, and so I'm, I'm learning so much right now and I'm like really fortunate and I, I love it. And, you know, I, the more I read about, um, Indian like conceptions of, of nature and relationships with, with non, non-human animals, I like so much is just clicking for me, right. Mm. Where I'm like, yes, like this makes so much sense. And this is how, you know, this is why. I had such wonderful experiences growing up and like playing out in the woods and, and that kind of thing. And, and it's because like, that's how I related to the world around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I'm like, I feel very grateful now that, that I'm able to experience that, but I don't think that that's something that we all get to experience. True. Um, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, I think that I would just tell 
tell other girls who were like me to to like bring bring your authentic self into whatever spaces that that you're occupying and and like don't don't second guess based on our institutions that are so like seeped in whiteness don't let somebody else tell you what you should be thinking you know Mm -hmm. trust your gut right exactly so looking back you know, knowing what you, like you said, you're, you know, you're 30 now, but looking back, all the, you know, all what you've gone through and knowing what you know now, is there anything you would have changed or is there anything you would have told your younger self? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very like glad and, and proud of the journey that I've had and that I've taken. Um, but I think that I definitely wish that I had been more aware of like my Indian culture when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I think that that's something that like a lot of us struggle with, at least like, you know, those of us who grew up in, in the nineties and the uh, early two thousands, I think it's getting a bit better now because of like social media and stuff. But um there's always that struggle of like wanting to push down your Indianness or, you know, whatever, um, whatever non-whiteness that you may have um, for immigrant communities and like trying to assimilate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wish that that were less the case. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that kind of goes back to what I would like tell younger people is to like, you know, be true to yourself and like, don't try to, don't try to squash certain parts of you to, to fit into um, the, you know, the dominant mainstream when who you really are is like so much more interesting and, and authentic and real. And, you know, absolutely. I think we have so much to offer, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, And I'm, yeah, I'm like, very glad that I am where I am now Mm -hmm. but definitely like you know how many middle school girls are like you know middle school in general you struggle with who you are and Mm -hmm. and you want to fit in and that kind of thing but when you add the extra layer of like trying to fit into whiteness Mm -hmm. it's or Americanness you know whatever that may be it's it's an added struggle that like shouldn't be there you know yeah um and so yeah, I think that that's certainly one thing that um, I would <laughs> maybe not have liked, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sana. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're in the middle of getting ready for your prospectus and you just finished your comp. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. And, I, and I'm sure there are lots of young girls, you know, who I hope will be inspired by your story and will stay authentic and will chase their dreams. So thank you for taking the time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe. And if you love the show, please leave a review. Just remember you could be one story away from being inspired.